Alright, if you'll take your Bibles, please open them to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. If you would join me in standing out of reverence for the reading of God's Word as we resume the conversation we began last week, returning to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain, and often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected, and near to being cursed, whose end? is to be burned. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give to us grace in this day. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would grant to us understanding. Lord, not just mental understanding, which is a dangerous thing, but give to us spiritual understanding, Father. Life in our bones and in our souls that would bring your truth to life both to us and in us. Lord, let your word bear fruit. Let the glory of the risen Christ be displayed in these lives that you have given to us, that all that we do and all that we say would magnify the risen Son. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been talking about this passage in Hebrews, and we discussed last week the reality that what God's promise to us is, is that those who belong to him in truth will never fall away. And that where there is an apparent conflict between one passage and another, the problem is not with the Scripture, but with our understanding. And so we need to seek to resolve those things. And what brought that conversation up is the passage that we're going to begin diving into, wherein the writer of Hebrews begins to speak about people who have the appearance of being converted, but who are not. And who become dangerously close to being so hardened in heart that they can never be converted, that they can never be brought back to even the level of some understanding that they may have had. And we're going to begin this morning with the idea of a mentally apostate person, somebody who has uh, apostasy in the mind. And there is an apostasy of the mind that allows for a narrow portion of the gospel to be believed. It allows for some of the truth of God to be accepted And to be willing to believe some of what God says, but just not quite willing to accept it all. This mental condition is one of the most dangerous things possible for a man to find himself trapped within. For it is an insidious thing which has an ability to blind and stupefy while causing them to believe that they are wise and can see clearly. So what what the writer of Hebrews, and we're going to focus our attention on this idea of somebody who has once been enlightened... It is to be instructed in the gospel of the doctrine so that there is some degree of understanding of it. Sometimes it's a little bit of spiritual understanding. Sometimes it is just mental understanding. 
primarily, he's referring to a mental exercise. It is to be brought under the light. The word in Greek is phototsomai, and it is to give light or knowledge by teaching. Um, elsewhere, it's to give light or to make something manifest. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4 gives us that reference. It is to teach or to have knowledge upon instruction. The noun form of the word is that knowledge that we possess once we have been instructed or enlightened. So this idea of enlightened, the Greek word has at its, as its core photo, uh, phototsomai. So we think about photographs or, or photogenic. We're talking about light, right? Photo, photo is, is light. And so it's this idea of somebody who's had light shed upon them out of the darkness. And so let's start with an understanding of exactly what we're dealing with when we're talking about a need for spiritual light, okay? Because the world, apart from the intervention of God, is trapped in darkness. The basic condition of man, apart from the mercy of God, is darkness. And that darkness is total. It is absolute. Proverbs 4.19 says, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't even know what makes them stumble. So the picture that the writer of Proverbs gives us there is a man who's walking around with his eyes closed in the dark while blindfolded and falls over something and gets angry that he fell over something. Right? He doesn't know what made him stumble. He doesn't understand why he stumbled. He only understands that life is hard. Right? Now, how many people do you know who match that description? They, they live their lives doing the most incredibly ridiculous things, walking in absolute darkness, and then they rage at God and rage at their circumstances because the choices that they made brought them things that they didn't want. But they refuse to say that the choices that they made brought them things that they didn't want. Instead, it's easier to curse the darkness. It's easier to curse the problems and the circumstances of their lives. And this darkness not only makes life difficult, it keeps people away from God. Okay, Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Right. So it talks about the reality that there was darkness which separated people from light. It separated people from God. It separated them from what they needed more than anything. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, why did the darkness not comprehend it? Well, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, it's because men love darkness. John 3.19 says, This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Right? So at the heart of it, what this is telling us is that mankind, apart from the merciful intervention of God, not only is trapped in darkness and hates the circumstances that are a product of the darkness that we walk in, but we love the darkness because what goes on in the darkness we think is all right. We can do the things we want to do as long as we think we can get away with it. We can do the things that we want to do as long as we think nobody's going to see it. We can do the things that we want to do as long as we think that we'll still manage to maintain our public image of respectability. Right? Men loved the darkness because their deeds were evil. So this is the basic condition of man. This is where we start. 
And if you're going to be a person who proclaims the gospel, which I hope you are, you need to understand with whom you're dealing. You need to understand the condition of the heart that you are proclaiming truth to. They are trapped in darkness. Now, that's pretty straightforward, right? People are lost. They need to be found. They need to be saved. They need to be rescued. They need to have light brought into the darkness. They hate the light that you're bringing. They don't comprehend it. They don't want to have anything to do with it because it exposes their sin. But there is some degree of what, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call universal light. It's kind of a spiritual corona, the the gospel Shekinah that comes with this knowledge. It's the afterglow of being in the presence of God because whether they like the light or not, The truth is, God has brought light into the world. And and there are Christians who proclaim the truth. And there are opportunities for them to be exposed to a little bit of the truth. And there there is this reality that there are some things that the gospel teaches that are more universally understood and accepted. Right? These are the ideas that you'll find bleeding over into false religions. It's It's the fact that God has woven through all of creation the truth that makes creation function. And and people will stumble upon some of the more palatable truths as they're groping around in the darkness looking for something that will satisfy. And so you'll find them um, having this, this slight spiritual awareness, and and the basic truths about love and kindness and goodness and gentleness, these are the basis of man's spiritual wisdom. And they are palatable to men. People like the idea of forgiveness. They like the idea of of don't judge. They like the idea of, of being kind to your neighbor. They like the idea of do unto others as you want them to do unto you. They like the idea... That, that, the, that the God that they want to seek after is, is really not too judgy. <laughs> they don't understand who the true God is. And they've grasped just enough around the edges that to, to bind into their truths some of the things that we might hear echoed in part by the teachings of Christ. Right? So, so where you see these things lining up, you see this synchronicity between foreign religions, false religions, false religions masquerading as Christianity, and biblical Christianity, you see some of these parallels line up. It's not because these are the only truths that matter. It's because these are the truths that are more universally accepted by others, and they're the ones that they're going to hang on to. And so we see some of this synchronicity line up, these more universal truths. This set of ideas does not constitute gospel faith and should not be confused with gospel faith. So if somebody is speaking to you and touting some ideas that, that might have been extracted from Scripture, don't automatically assume that you're dealing with a Christian just because they understand a little bit of Christianese. Okay? Don't automatically assume that you're speaking to somebody who understands the truth just because they say that they believe in God or just because they say that they are spiritual people. It doesn't matter even if they are professing Christ if their actions, their lives, their testimony, the fullness of what they're saying does not line up with the biblical Christ. They're not confessing Christ. They're confessing something else, 
Okay? And you can hear all kinds of people touting all kinds of things about all sorts of spiritual truth that they're okay with. Ultimately, um, the ideas are simply true. Okay? And only the most hardened people will deny that loving is better than hating. Amen? Only the most hardened people will deny that forgiveness is a better way to live than holding on to grudges. Right? Only the most hardened of people will deny that practicing mercy towards others is a better way to live, even if only they're doing it from a pragmatic point of view that says that if I give mercy, I might be a little more likely to receive it from you. Amen? Because ultimately, if I'm hard and obnoxious and mean, and I remember every ugly thing you ever said and every other ugly thing you ever did, and never let go of anything and hold on to it so I can drag it out and beat you up with it later, what do you expect to receive from me? The same thing, right? So only the, the hardest, most ignorant person in the world will refuse to accept that those ideas have some truth to them. They might even tell you they believe in God. James in chapter 2 says, you believe in God, good. You do well. But remember that the demons also do and they tremble. So believing in God does not make you a Christian. Believing in God makes you a demon. If that's all you do, that's all you have, that's your only criteria, let me be very clear with you, it's not enough. Okay? So understand that when you're dealing with people and when you're proclaiming the gospel and when you're looking at the condition, honestly, of our own soul sometimes, you need to be firm with yourself that a little bit is not enough. And sometimes a little bit is worse than none at all. Okay? Sometimes having a little bit of knowledge can be worse than having no knowledge. And these ideas are absolutely true. That the idea that God's love is real is truth. But you have to take the whole gospel or you run the danger of becoming mentally apostate. Okay? So these universal truths that you're going to find scattered throughout the religions of the world and scattered throughout your neighbors and scattered throughout people that, that are influencers in our culture for whatever means or whatever good, um, that, that doesn't tell you anything about their spiritual condition. And it doesn't mean that they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. There needs to be a higher standard. There's also the presence of what I'm going to term common truth. We, know, we understand that the scripture speaks of common grace, right? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The idea that God issues the call of the gospel to all men, but there is an effectual call that actually saves when it is issued. There's an effectual call that brings life with it. But there is this idea of a common truth. There's a portion of the light, the, the content of the light, which can be discerned by natural means. Okay, God has been pleased to give us his word. That means that if you are capable of reading, there is some measure of understanding that you are capable of obtaining from simply opening the Bible and reading. Okay, completely divorced from any spiritual efficacy, completely divorced from any empowering call from God. There is a, a modicum, an amount of truth, which can be discerned by simply opening the book and reading. 
by simply opening your ears and listening to it taught. Now, I understand that the Scripture teaches us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned. Okay? That means that he can't embrace them wholeheartedly. But there are parts of it, there, there are pieces of God's truth which can be understood and can even be improved on by diligent study. Okay? But if you're only engaging your mind and your heart is not involved, this is dangerous ground. Okay? It is dangerous to, to simply exercise your brain about the Bible, to try and come at the Word and say, you know what, I can master this because I am an intelligent human being. And let me be really clear with you. That danger can also fall on Christians. Okay? This is where the ground gets really treacherous. The idea that you might be spiritually alive and you might approach your Bible study with an earnest heart to master it, but you're going to approach it with an earnest heart to master it by your own work and by your own understanding. If that's the ground you're in, you're, you're treading very, very dangerous ground. And I would urge you to step back from that. I would urge you to draw into your experience of Bible study the reality that all truth, real truth, sound biblical truth, can only be ultimately revealed by the power of the Spirit of God. Amen. We need His guidance. We need His instruction. We need His empowering. We need Him to open the eyes of our heart and to give us understanding. And we need it Especially because there is this portion which can be grasped simply intellectually. I have met a lot of people over the years of my life as I have been involved in, in ministry in one form or another. I have met a lot of people who know more about the Bible than I think I will ever know. And in them there has been nothing of the flavor of Christ whatsoever. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. How much somebody can swallow and digest and regurgitate and even almost sometimes accurately apply without anything of Christ in them. It's terrifying. And I would urge us all to examine the condition of our hearts as we approach the Word of God to say, Lord, please give me your spirit so that I might rightly understand what it is you want me to be what it is you want me to take in, what it is you want me to see in my own life and see in the world around me so that I am being faithful to your word and obedient to your truth. Because here's the reality. It is the nature of light to shine. Right? You light a candle in the darkness, what do you expect to see? Light. Right? It's the nature of light to shine. It's the nature of light to awe. It's the nature of light to dazzle. So if God is shining light into the darkness and you have any perception of it whatsoever, there is one or more aspects of it which is going to be appealing to you. It's enough to draw us to the brilliancy which is so weird. <laughs> right? We, we see things and, and I see people get so excited and Maybe the best way to explain this is how rabidly unbelievers will talk about revelations. Right? Just, you want to have an exciting spiritual conversation with, with some guy down at the bar? 
Not that I go there, but I assume. Open up the conversation about the book of Revelation. His eyes will light up and he'll go, oh, it's awesome, I was just reading. Really? Wow. Cheers to you. (laughs) Right? We we get so wrapped up in, in some parts. And we get so wound up about some bits that don't really carry with it the fullness of the gospel. We need to recognize the truth that there are parts of the Bible that are going to appeal to people in a very natural state of mind. We're curious. We're a little dazzled by the light that we see. And there is an impact in our lives by just being exposed to it. And there is some measure of understanding that is achievable with hard work and diligence. There is some measure of understanding that people can glean and grab hold of just by applying the natural gifts of intellect that God has given. But it's not enough. We have to have more. Because the nature of light is such as somebody who has lived their life in darkness just might hunger for the effect of the light without desiring the light itself. Right? Now, let me interject this to say I'm not trying to be down on people that are just interested in spiritual things and are seeking, okay? Because it is a great and precious gift to receive even that much effect from the light. So where somebody is spiritually hungry at all, asking any spiritual questions, reading the Bible in any capacity, my counsel to you is don't be snide, don't be obnoxious, encourage that, engage them in real conversation, bring it back to the gospel. My my. My effort here is to make us all understand that just because somebody can babble some Christianese doesn't make them saved. Okay? And you're going to encounter a lot of that the more actively you get involved in sharing the gospel. You're going to encounter more and more people who can regurgitate a lot of phrases that they may have heard and didn't fully understand. You're going to encounter a lot of people who are fluent in Christianese, but know nothing of Christ. And I want you to be discerning. I want you to be aware. I want you to understand that there is a danger here, both for them and for you. Because if you allow them to become influencers in your life, you might be led astray. If you allow them to have influence over you and to teach you, and to, if they say, oh, I've been reading this thing and it's really interesting and let me tell you what I've learned, and you go, oh, that's the most fascinating thing I've ever discovered. Well, it's very possible that you are now chasing after false teachers. It's very possible that you are now chasing after things that are not truth. It's very possible that you yourself are standing in danger of, of your mind being hardened against the gospel. So I would encourage you when you encounter people that are asking spiritual things at all to pray for them. To pray that perhaps God would be merciful and and call them to life. To pray that perhaps God would be merciful and give them some modicum of understanding that they will be deepened in their understanding and in their enlightening and that God will perhaps graciously save them. So the effect of light, the nature of light has with it a natural appreciation 
Many of these people grab a hold of the truths that they can see very readily. But in truth, spiritually, they are what Jesus described as the shallow soil. Okay, We, we talk about the, the parable of the sower and the parable of the seeds, but understand that the sower was Christ and the seed was universally the same. It was the gospel. What was the difference in the parable? The soil in which it landed, right? And so the soil of some of these people is what Jesus described as shallow soil. They'll receive the good news with joy because it offers hope in the midst of the darkness that they are currently experiencing. It offers hope in the midst of the circumstances that they have derived from walking around in the darkness like they were walking around in the darkness, inviting wickedness and evil consequences into their lives by the bad choices that they make. And all of a sudden, they're sitting in the puddle of their ick going, ah, I don't like this very much. And so some spiritual things get tossed out to them and they go, oh, look, it's hope. I want that. But there's a cost to following after the light, isn't there? Didn't Jesus say that we needed to be willing to count the cost? That a man who started after the kingdom of God but turned back was like a man who started to build a tower and didn't count the cost in the front end and he got halfway done and went, I can't finish this. And then everybody mocks him. Or a king that makes threats with an army that isn't existing. And instead of challenging for war with a foe that is much greater than he, he should be suing for peace. Right? You see, there's a cost to following Christ. And the impact of following the light has its own set of circumstances. And right off the bat, if you start to follow after Christ, you can expect to be rejected by your old friends that you used to hang out at the bar with. Amen. Amen and amen. You can expect that the relationships that used to be important to you are going to be impacted negatively by obedience to the gospel. You can expect a loss of financial means when you set yourself to walk in honesty. Right? You can expect that you will experience a loss of employment in some instances. And you can expect absolutely all the time, an understanding of the depth of your own sin and depravity and a need to jettison the worldview that says that you're okay and God likes you just the way you are. Okay? And immediately, if I just touch that nerve first, 99 out of 100 of my conversations are over. Because people hate that truth. They hate it with everything that's in them. They want to believe that everything they do is all right and everything in their life is completely perfect and that there is nothing wrong with them whatsoever. And any suggestion at all that they perhaps are less than ideal is met with absolute hostility. And so somebody who sets themselves to follow after Christ and wants to begin to faithfully proclaim the truth will experience a great deal of loss, and they will experience that loss in their own souls as they look at their own heart, and they're going to have to come to grips with that. And that mere conviction right there is something that a lot of people start after Christ, and they come to the place where they look at their own sin, and they say, wait a minute, that's not what I thought about myself. That's not who I thought I was. I thought I was a good person. 
And they have to look at this and decide, okay, I'm not a good person. I'm going to follow after Christ. Or they're going to step back from following after Christ and go, you know what? No, I am a good person. I do good things. I'm a good person. And that reality means that there are those who have been exposed to some light and rejected. Because ultimately, most people, when they are exposed to the light, end up turning away from it. They end up not following Christ. They end up not having the illumination that is offered in the gospel. Because left to its natural ability, that the heart that seeks some form of enlightenment without spiritual assistance from God, without the enlivening power of the Holy Spirit that makes us alive and, and clings to us and refuses to let us go, without that, driven only by our natural abilities, nobody, nobody will cling to Christ. It can't happen. But we see so many people in the midst of the pretense. And then we wonder where they went when we assure them without authority of Scripture that they have been saved because they started with the pretense. We can't figure out what happened. Why there are 16 million Southern Baptists on church books, but only about 3.5 million are regularly in attendance in any church at all. I don't know. Maybe we need to clean our rolls. Maybe we need to look at it and go, we should stop telling somebody who has a question, yes, you're saved because I made you parrot these words. Right? Maybe we need to reassess our approach because there is a danger in spiritual apostasy which is deeper than just making it hard because what the writer of Hebrews presses through this passage, remember, is that those who have been enlightened to some degree and fall away can never again be renewed under repentance. So there comes a point where you get so close and you say, you know what, no, I'm not doing that. And the hardening effect that it has on your heart is, from our perspective, absolutely impossible to overcome. There's real danger here. And and it's, it's important for us to understand that there is a condition of mental apostasy. Having found our own circumstances, been removed, and then recognized that this modicum of obedience that we're chasing has its own set of circumstantial difficulties, many people just throw their hands up in despair and go, you know what, I'm done. You promised that if I followed after God, I would have a good life. And I did it with everything I had in me for a whole year. And my life got harder. I'm done. Right? Well, the problem is with them. They weren't born again. But the problem is also with us. Some will reject the church completely and become the most avowed haters of all things Christian. These are the people who will tell you they are atheists. These are the ones who will say things like, I tried Jesus. It didn't work. They're the most vocal advocates of silencing the church and they become supremely, extremely aggressive in their efforts to silence all things religious in the public environment. I I can pick them out of a crowd just by the hatred in their face more often than not. You grew up in the church. Yes, I did. 
Well, thank you very much. <laughs> right? We, we see it. We see it borne out. We see it evidenced in the fact that people encounter something, but they're not made new. Because the effort and the focus of our evangelism as the church for at least 100 years has been completely man-driven, completely man-centered, completely all about our decision, our ability, our mental activity. And all it leads to is a mental apostasy. You say, well, no, no, a lot of those people stay in the church. And actually, in my mind, that's the most dangerous result. Because while some will become absolutely violent in their hatred of God and all things religion, others will go through some mental gymnastics that will allow them to stay in a church. But all the while, they're saying to themselves, yeah, I ain't buying all of that. Most retain some sort of moral code that allows them to do the things that they want to do and still feel like they're in good standing with God. They'll still attend church. They'll still be a part of a church that doesn't press too hard. And they are extremely obedient externally as long as it is convenient to their personal set of desires. So these are the people that we'll find who are like, you may not do this, but come join me while we do that. Right? We're not going to allow anybody in this church to participate in that activity. We're going to focus out that sin, but we'll ignore this one. Fat preachers. Right? No alcohol, no cigarettes, but be a glutton. Doesn't work. Right? Sin is sin. And if we are not willing to deal with all of our sin as equally as we are capable of dealing with sin, then we are teaching error and we are heretical. God is as upset with my obesity as he is with somebody's alcoholism or sexual depravity. It's the same thing. It's wrong. It's defiling. And it's demeaning to Christ. Okay? But people will stay in churches and they will hide behind this, this idea that they can have a little bit of the gospel. They can have a little bit of the truth. They can have a small amount of the impact. They, they can touch it, they can dangle around the edges, and they can be completely safe, thank you very much, as long as nobody finds out what I'm doing in the dark. Or as long as nobody points out what I'm doing in the light because we're all doing it together. Right? These things are incredibly dangerous because often they will hold and even teach false doctrine. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, Peter, remember, was a fisherman, a sailor, and he's fairly blunt. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 18, talking, excuse me, talking about false teachers. He says, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from darkness, who, from sorry, those who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. 
For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. Now I want you to understand that verse right there is a very important spiritual principle. Sin absolutely always enslaves. There's no such thing as a little sin. There's no such thing as a little bit of error being okay. Sin will always enslave you. By whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. For if, verse 20, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. To be this person is spiritually the most dangerous place that it is possible for a man to be. This person who looks at spiritual truth and says, yeah, that's a really interesting intellectual idea. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to obey it. Here's a different set of ideas. Let's play with them and see what we can make work. This is a corruption of the scripture. This is a corruption of the truth. This is a corruption of the gospel. And it is something that defiles the mind and makes us insane. So there are some things that I want to encourage you to engage with as a boundary for yourself. Okay? Um, You have a responsibility to the truth. First of all, The question is never, how do I feel about that spiritual truth? Or do I like this teaching? That is never the question. The question is always, does the Bible teach it? And what am I responsible before God to do because the Bible teaches it? Okay? Period. If you're, if you're dealing with somebody about a situation or about a teaching or about something and they say to you something along these lines, it's absolutely biblical, but I don't like it, I don't agree with it, therefore I'm not going to do it. You need to recognize the truth that you're dealing with somebody who at the very least is in absolute rebellion against Christ and is possibly not even converted. Okay? We don't have the option to tell God, yeah, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do it. Now, I recognize that in sin, we do that regularly, okay? But if you're bald-faced enough to stare down the truth of God's word and say, no, I ain't buying that, I don't like it, you have a problem, beloved. And you need to deal with that problem before it deals with you, okay? Okay? Be aware of your responsibility to the truth of God's word. You, as a believer in Christ, as a confessor of who Jesus Christ is, have a responsibility to engage with the truth of God's word in such a way that you view it as authority in your life beyond all else. The only way to resolve a conflict within yourself or with somebody else is to come to it and say, what does the Bible say? Open the book, look at it, and respond accordingly. Problem solved. Right? So, when somebody's teaching false doctrine, bring it back to the Word of God and say, what does the Bible say? 
What is the truth of God's Word? What does God tell us in His Word? Perhaps they spoke incorrectly. Perhaps they misunderstood. Perhaps they are in rebellion. Bring it back to God's Word and let God's Word resolve the issue. Period. Okay? Always, every time, without fail. Be careful of where you seek your answers. Okay? You don't dig a well under the outhouse. Amen? Amen. Anybody want to drink that water? But we do it regularly when we go to the world to tell us how we should live. Amen? When we let the culture define what is right and wrong, when we let the culture tell us how we are to live, how we are to engage, how we are to behave, how we are to think, how we are to act, we're digging our well under the outhouse. I ain't ain't touching it. I ain't having no part of that glass of water. Thank you. I don't care how clean it looks. I know where it came from. And as followers of Christ, we need to be mindful of this. We need to be very careful about what we allow to be influencing us. We need to be attentive to the prompting of the Spirit and to recognize that there is a very real human tendency to say to God, this is close enough. Amen? If your life is defined by saying, okay, I want to know how close I have to get to God so that I feel saved, there's a problem. Instead, we should be seeking to be as close as we possibly can. As if God would ever say, no, no, that's close enough, get away. Right? He never will. But let Him be the limit. You, You get what I'm saying? Let Him be the limiter. It's not your job. That's not your place. But that's a very real human tendency in us. And it contributes to this mental apostasy. If we're setting out to say, you know what? I just want to know enough about God to where I feel safe and I feel saved and I feel happy in the things that I'm doing. There's that mental apostasy already taking root. It's already got its tendrils into your soul. And it's already being a very dangerous thing in you. Pursue Him with everything you have in you. Pursue Him until you fall over in the pursuit. And be filled with so much truth that there is nothing in you but truth. That should always be the goal. So if this is dangerous for an individual, how dangerous is it for a church that is filled with those individuals? It's disastrous. That church ceases to be a church. It becomes something else. Now, all of this is preface to the hope that is contained in the gospel of Christ. Because there is such a thing as true illumination. Amen? There is such a thing as a heart and a mind and a life and a soul that has been illumined by the gospel and that has been made new through the power of God. But the groundwork is that it must be God because everything we've been talking about to this point is what happens when man tries to do it apart from God. Right? We may use God's toys. 
Right? I got a whole shop full of tools, but I don't let just any old fool walk in there and light them up. Because they're going to hurt themselves or maybe hurt my tools, which might be worse. <laughs> right? We, we, we cannot come close to God, even using God's things, apart from God himself. You just can't do it. There is true illumination. There is such a thing wherein God actually brings light into darkness. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This defines the true church. This defines those who God calls his own. Acts chapter 26, Paul, speaking to um, the Roman governor, says when Jesus called him out, this was the commission that was given to him. He said, I will deliver you. This is Jesus speaking to Paul, Paul recounting this to the Roman governor. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. And this is his commission. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness unto light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ before time began but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. Beloved, true illumination begins with God. He draws, right? He draws us to himself. He gives us the faith to believe. And it was given to us in Christ before time began. This is not our work. This is not our will. This is not our choice. This is not our decision. This is Christ doing what was determined before he ever said, let there be light. Before time began, before there were ever anything made, this was the will of God. He opens our eyes. He turns us away from darkness. So guard your hearts. Never glorify darkness in your mind. Never let it have a place in your soul. Seek after God with everything you have in you. Be ruthless to root out sin and to destroy its strongholds in your heart. Be ruthless about this. Give it no quarter. Seek after God, because in the end, He gives you the faith to believe. And this is the true issue. We're cleansed by faith in Christ. We're cleansed by His blood applied to us. You are not going to be cleansed by your obedience to anything. 
You are cleansed by Him. You are cleansed by His obedience. By His obedience on your behalf. You are cleansed because Christ did what He set out to do. He saved a people, redeemed a church to be presented to God as a bride gift on the day of redemption. You are both the love gift of the Father to the Son and the bride gift of the Son to the Father, and you are His cherished possession if you are the true church of God. It is a magnificent thing. And we make it into such small issues when we make it about us. It's His glory. It's His wonder. It's His work. It's His beauty. And the reason why there is such a a drastic uptick of the mental apostasy in people who identify themselves as Christians, who will take and cherry-pick this part of the gospel and this part of the gospel and this idea and that idea, but will reject the rest because it's not convenient to them. The reason why this is so prevalent in our culture is because we have made the gospel about our decision and our will and our abilities. We've made it about our work. We've made it a gospel of works, although we deny that with everything we have in us. Beloved, you can do nothing except receive the mercy that God gives you. And He gives you the ability to receive it. He gives you eyes that seek it, eyes and a a heart. He gives you a living heart in the midst of your deadness. This is His work. It is His glory. It is His truth. And ultimately, this means that God Himself will lead those whom He calls. Isaiah 42.16 says, I will bring the blind by the way that they did not know. Amen? I will bring the blind by the way they did not know. So here's the picture. We're, we're still walking around, our eyes closed, blindfolded, with the lights out, going, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, in the midst of our chaotic insanity, God reaches down and goes, here's my hand. Walk with me. And I'll lead you in a path you have no idea is actually present. And I'm going to lead you to glory by the things that I've done, not by the things that you've created. I will lead them in a path they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. And I will make darkness light before them and crooked ways straight. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them. Now, I want to make sure that nobody misunderstands. Because the normal means of enlightenment is the Word of God. Okay? I do not for one minute want to be misunderstood to believe or to teach that you should not point unbelievers to the Scripture. Okay? Please don't misunderstand me. Absolutely point unbelievers to the Scripture. Give them a Bible if they don't have one. Give them a Bible if they can't find the one that they have, because I can't imagine any house in the United States of America not possessing at least two. But if they can't find the Bible that's hiding on the shelf, give them yours. Give them a Bible. If you don't want to give them the one you've got because it's the Bible you live with all the time, then go buy them one. They're not that expensive. You don't have to buy them real leather. Those are expensive. (laughs) I digress. Give unbelievers the word of God. Okay? But bathe them in prayer and walk with them in the way. And bathe everything they do in the word with prayer. Because the word, apart from the spiritual empowering of God, does not do anything. 
except hardened hearts. Okay? So we need God's intervention here. Now, the wonder of this is that the Scripture itself is the normative means by which God brings dead sinners to life. It's why I I have become convinced in my conversations with people that my opinions mean nothing, less than nothing, are more harmful than helpful. So if I want to speak to somebody and wanted to actually make a difference in their life, I'm just going to open up the Bible and say, let's look at this. I'm going to quote Scripture to them. I'm going to read Scripture with them. I'm going to bring them the Word of God, and I'm going to say, this is the very Word of God to you. Right? Palabra de Deus. This is the very Word of God. These is the talkings of God. This is what God is saying to you right now. And I want you to understand it. I want you to hear it. I want you to receive the truth of God's Word in your life because that is the normative means by which God brings life to dead souls. Romans 10 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? By the Word of God. Right? This is why He has ordained through the foolishness of preaching, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching like a fool. Through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. It's God's ordained work. Not through the foolishness of puppets or clowns or strong men. Through the foolishness of preaching. Not by having an enlivened spiritual worship session where worship means musical style but by the foolishness of preaching. This is what God uses to save dead men, to raise them to life. And you have in your hand the power to carry that with you. Carry your Bible. Show them the truth of God's Word. Speak it. Read it. Share it. Give it. 2 Peter 1 says, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, starting at verse 19, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now one more thing I want to say and then we're done. All true spiritual illumination has a focus. And that focus is Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay? If somebody's trying to give you some sort of spiritual light and their focus is on anything but Jesus, just walk away. Because it's not truth. And it's not going to do anything but add to darkness. Because one of the issues of the nature of light is that by shining light in just the right way, or maybe just the wrong way, you can put darkness where you want to put darkness. Amen? If I've got a flashlight in my hand and there's an object in the middle of the room and I don't want you to see that object, it's really easy for me to make sure you don't. Even if the room is light... I can take my flashlight if it's bright enough and I can draw your attention away from it. I can draw your attention to something else. You see, the spiritual focus of true illumination is always going to be Jesus Christ. Always.
Look with me at 2 Corinthians. We're going to read this passage and then we're going to be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 16. I love this passage of Scripture, and I wish that I could do it justice. I can't, so I'm just going to read it. I went back and I listened to some of my sermons when we were going through 2 Corinthians. I didn't come anywhere close to doing this justice. This is so glorious. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is spiritual focus. That is biblical illumination. That is truth. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you give to us grace. And I pray, Lord, that as we study and contemplate and dwell richly in your word, you would protect every single person within the sound of my voice from mere human understanding. I pray, God, that you would come alongside us, that your spirit would dwell with power among your people, that you would illumine our hearts for truth, and that you would grant to us wisdom and understanding that guides us into the ways of righteousness. I pray, God, that you would save the lost, that you would revive the alive, and that you would transform this nation for the glory of the risen Christ. I ask it in the name of Jesus, and I ask it so that the Lamb who was slain would receive the full reward of his suffering, and that the name of Jesus would be honored and loved in hearts where at this moment he is despised. God, let this be true. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.